welcome to Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee. Join hosts Ajay Shah and Uso Chakrabarti as they talk to fascinating guests. Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee is brought to you by Hindu Policy Research and Advocacy Collective, Hindu Pact, an initiative of World Hindu Council of America. Now, sit back, relax, take a sip of coffee or chai and join the conversation. Namaste everyone and welcome to Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee. So that as we celebrate Pride Day month, rather a Pride month in 2022, we have with us one a very special guest and we are so grateful to her for joining us today. Please, Utsuda, go ahead and introduce our special guest who is joining us today. Uh, well, welcome, uh, Anjali Rimiji. Uh, she just joined us. And uh, Anjali Rimi is a woman of transgender, kinner, South Asian, immigrant with Hindu Dharma experiences. She's based in San Francisco Bay Area in California with roots in India. She has been, she has blossomed in Canada and is currently in the United States. Anjali has held over 100 diversity, equity, inclusion workshops, seminars to educate and build awareness for trans LGB affirming workplaces and faculties across Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, community organizations as a DEI coach, along with helping spaces build racial equity and gender justice. She holds an MBA and works as a business development executive in the wine industry. Anjali is a polyglot, an excellent speaker, performer, and community organizer. Welcome, Anjali Ji. Namaste. Anjali Ji, we are very grateful to you uh, for joining us today. Thank you. My honor. Thank you, Ajay Ji. Thank you, Utsav Ji. Happy Pride Month to all of you. And you too. Thank you. And to you too. Uh, so without much ado this morning, I'm going to jump into our questions. My first question Anjaliji, tell us your experience of growing up in India and the influence of Hindu traditions on you. You know, we could be here all morning, me telling you my story of existing, but I will, you know, really tell you that as a uh, person who was born in India um, and as a whole, as a South Asian, there is something to be talked about my existence that was meant to be. Um, I consider myself the Ansh of Ardhanarishwara, which I'll talk about a bit more. But I primarily grew up in a lower middle class family that came from different religious backgrounds. My parents were working class, um, you know, folks who tried to make ends meet. But at a very young age, I realized that I was different. And though my parents, mostly my mom, knew that I was a different child of hers. It was hard for her to allow me to be me because of what the society would say. You see, in the early 80s and the 90s, India was way, way too colonized for us to be able to understand its actual beauty of gender diversity. And I know all these terms now, but when I was 11 and 12, I didn't even know what the terms trans or, you know, kinder or anything meant. And I really thought I would wake up one day and I would blossom to be that beautiful flower that every other 
um, girl or woman was. All my cousins were, but that did not happen. Instead, I faced a lot of discrimination, physical violence, and taunt, taunt, taunting and whatnot. Yet, I said to myself that if this is a deficit in me, which I didn't know that I was actually more powerful than many people, I thought I would overcome that by being very good in other places, in education, in arts and such. So my parents would be escape that shame that they were already feeling of people saying, Aapka ladka aise kyun chalta hai? Aapka ladka aise, aise kyun baat karta hai? And it just kind of culminated into a lot of bad, bad things happening to me. Uh, trigger warning, I be I was raped multiple times before the age of 15. I was sexually assaulted. I was sodomized. And I really was left to die in one such incident. And that led to my parents having to face the society's shame um, and having us move our homes. Um, and I totally fortified my my belief that I was different and I was the other. I was not in the body that I wanted to be and I couldn't be the person that I wanted to exist with the body I want to be in. And so it went on to becoming something that I just hid more and more and I focused more on my education and tried to build my life. And one of the earliest um, salvations of me knowing that I existed was me growing up in front of a Yellama temple. Now, for those that are wondering what Yellama temple is, I let you Google and do that work. Um, but, you know, Renukamma Yellama has a history of, of transgenderism in her devotees. And when I used to see the jatras that used to happen on every Sunday, I would see men dressed as women and I would see jyotis and I was like, wow, there is a world here where I could belong. But you see the stigma of the society, you know, the folks that say they're educated and put us all aside still continued. But at least I found solace in the fact that, you know, God is allowing them to enter. Allama, ya Amma, Varu, the goddess is letting them enter into her temple and nobody stopping them gave me the actual hope that I am actually part of somebody that, you know, I can be. So with that said, I think, um, you know, I want to just uh, acknowledge that, you know, Though I didn't come from a very religious Hindu family, I kind of went on to live my life and in my 40s now with having it as my anchor in the darkest times of my life in the despair of almost wanting to not live and give up. I can tell you here today that there has been many times that Yalamma and Bhavani have really come to me. I've seen them to make me believe that I needed to exist. I needed to exist because I am their daughter. I am their child. Um, yeah. Where did you grow up in uh, India? 
I grew up uh, in a very uh, secular city of Hyderabad in the south, where my friends were from different backgrounds, and you know we we had you know such celebration of all festivals, where it didn't matter whether you were Hindu, Muslim, Christian, or not what not, but the one thing that mattered to anybody was that I was different and that I was trying to wear women's clothing and that I was trying to tell my parents that I was somebody different and how it was a shameful thing for my family. That's that's really really uh, good to hear, and it's so interesting to learn about your you know about you and what you went through. Now tell us about your experiences in Canada and and in America. How how did it evolve, and and tell us about it. See, I'll take you back to a time when in India, my emulation of being a woman was the eighties Bollywood and Tollywood you know, actresses, whether it's, you know, Sri Devi or Madhvi, there were many actresses during that time. So my true freedom was to be able to wear a sari and put on a big bindi like the one I have right now and be able to frolic as myself. So when that freedom was not available to me, I never left thought of leaving India ever. I thought that is where I am. Um, and you know with that with no choice left I did end up moving to the United States and within a month of coming here I, I landed in this country on August 11th exactly one month before 9-11 and 10 days after 9-11 at the university where I was going to do my MBA um, I was uh, a victim of hate crime and I vividly remember that night I was wearing a sari and you know I, I still don't know what I was being um, beat up for but much later I realized that there is a term called racism and that as Indians as Hindus do face it and we are victims of it very much um, and so I, I think I got the first taste of it and realized that maybe I did not come to the land of the freedom and, you know, tried to transition again. This was my third attempt and finished my education and said, let me be um, the good person that is going to get a job, impress my parents and all that, you know, the good old, good old South Asian kid. Um, but that didn't necessarily take away my struggle, my gender dysphoria, my depression of not being able to be myself despite being independent. Um, there were many times where I was ridiculed and I was made fun of. So at some point, I could not really carry on that way. And I moved to um, the Bay Area and subsequently uh, I was let go or there was a very ugly tactic played on me where my visa wasn't valid anymore and I had to leave the country because I showed up in a, you know, blue black top with yellow lining. I always say this, uh, or the yellow top with the black lining. I can't remember exactly. That day just um, fades in my memory or I try to forget about it. And I 
left this country not knowing where to go um, and knowing that India was not an option because my dad had actually said that if I came back, because I was already presenting myself in an androgynous or more feminine way, I moved to Canada and got on a greyhound with two suitcases and started my life all over in Canada. You know, the 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 coincidence or Mata Kadein or whatever you may say, when I was living in the US, when I, you know, in a place that you would, you would never even imagine um, that there would be a temple, I actually ended up finding a home right in front of a temple that actually fed me. And when I moved to Canada, you know, I again found a space where I could actually go get food at a time when I was not even able to get, get you know, enough means to happen. I'm fast forwarding, not telling you the struggles I've had to go through of being homeless and of being in the U.S. Uh, paying for rent by offering sex and um, by existing or trying to not get killed um, to Canada where I rebuilt myself and I tried to work with my parents to get back and understand who I was. And I will say a lot of it came from this kind of grounding that I told myself that no matter anybody is with me or not, uh, I, my gods are with me, my goddesses are with me, and I carried their idols with me everywhere I went. And um, that gave me, I don't know what it is, I cannot put those words in front of you. I'm not a knowledge, you know, rich person. But, you know, it's been a journey. Um, I was in Canada for over a decade, and then I transitioned, I was able to transition fully there. Um, and, you know, find community and then come back to the United States and be able to build my work life, become a DEI coach, um, bring my parents back into my life and be in community. And even though I've gone through all this, one of the key things I tell myself is that I was still very fortunate to have made it, to have been able to get through those dark times and be here to do more so no other immigrant no other hindu no other indian person no other transgender or no other kidner has to go through what i have had to go through and times have changed but that is what i take away in my journey Anjali ji uh, I, I want to ask you um, uh, this question that you said that you grew up in uh, you know across from uh, Elama Mandir and that gave you strength and in, the, in Canada also you found a mandir uh, that gave you support. Uh, in general, have you found the Hindu community <clears throat> and uh, Hindu mandirs and other organizations uh, be uh, you know to be supportive of uh, the you know the transgender LGBTQ plus community or you you know and um, you know, uh, or you think that in America also 
uh, you have come across you know a lot of um, discrimination and a lot of uh, from the Hindu community especially in the Indian community have you come across as you know uh, uh, have you felt like you have been othered or have you felt like you have been discriminated against or are people more accepting over here so two questions here have you found strength in uh, mandirs and scriptures etc and second uh, have you found the support uh, that the com uh, from the community or you felt like you have not been accepted as you should be I think the answer is very difficult for me to say because I know the foundation of Hinduism, the mythological, the historical, the traditional backgrounds, values, cultures of Hinduism actually are unique to Hinduism where gender, anything is more than one gender included gender expansiveness is more than one we have at least four instances in mythology and in divinity that has displayed gender expansiveness or fluidity and yet i am just now just now in the last year or so after being here for over two decades finding the love in the hindu community and it is because of such colonized minds and such ignorance that I really have always felt like the other. You see, when you are transgender and your gender identity is in your, in your visage, in your muk, in your face, it's very easy for anybody to discriminate irrespective of their religion but i did not expect my own people if i may say so one of my home communities is hindu people to do so to me and it really took me away from the religion many times i was very conflicted on how i was able to survive on the reality of this religion that helped me be grounded. My Allama and my Bhawani, my Bahuchari Mata helped me see that I need to exist. But yet the same people in that same temple would come up to my mom and be like, why are you letting your son do this in America? And you also have to realize that there is a shock factor when people find out I'm transgender because many times I don't disclose I'm transgender. I think we um, have to really understand that pushing people who are different from the nomenclature of whatever it is, and in my case, gender, only makes us less Hindu. And... You know, in Hindi, there's a kahavat, na gharka, na ghatka. The, you know, the identities that I carry, um, of all the identities I carry, I think the one that I thought was the most vulnerable one was being a transgender kinder. But I'm starting to realize that there are other identities of mine that are equally vulnerable and discriminated against being a woman, a woman of color, an immigrant, someone who speaks with an accent, 
being fat all these things discriminate against me and i don't think the hindu community is isolated in that discrimination but it is actually very debilitating when it is from the community that i want to belong i can begin to tell you how many times i have gone to a mandir or i have gone to somebody's wedding and i have to be very careful of them not finding out that i'm transgender or if i'm there as somebody that they know um i'm there to bless them i have my duties and i have to leave right after i've been to so many cradle ceremonies shadis where my duty is only to bless and leave and i am not even part of the hijra or kinner system because there isn't one that we have been able to establish in america but you know in telugu there's a saying some a mother who feeds their child every day and a mother who doesn't feed the child every day you don't expect the mother who doesn't feed the child every day to feed the child suddenly one day but when a mother who feeds the child every day stops feeding that child one day that is very very piercing to the heart and that is what i struggle with the hindu community there is so points 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 very well made very well made points uh, anjali and uh, i think uh, this is that's why we you know we want this to be uh, visible to our community and as hindu pact we want we are we are an organization that's focused on hindu issues in america and i think this is something that needs to be known for the entire community and our platform hindu pact is very very eager to share this because we as hindus have a responsibility and towards to be just better hindus and 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 actually the best way to be a better hindu is as you described anjali is to accept and that's what we are uh, we are trying to do uh, i have a question in terms you know just a, just this next step forward to what ajay ji just asked you so you know your identity as an openly hindu transgender person how is that looked upon in the larger lgbtq plus space especially in in the transgender community in america because there you know transgender is itself is a diverse community as country as america is very diverse um it's a very important question you're asking because you see i've always met hate with love in my life and i've only always said that i understand that my existence is difficult for you to accept you human being i hope you'll unlearn and become better human being but the reality of the matter is this world is only finding more ways to hate on human beings and the greatest shock of my life was about 3 years ago and it hasn't stopped is to realize that being hindu is to be hated on i have been a hindu since i was born i'm in my 40s i transitioned much later in my life because i could not transition sooner even if i wanted to i didn't have the resources but unfortunately 
I am having a difficult time breathing as I'm talking to you, not being suffocated for existing as an openly Hindu, not openly trans, openly Hindu person, especially in the LGBT community. And I still cannot decipher where this emanates from, why this emanates for, because I do not have any missions, affiliations, objectives, like probably what you all have as a mission to propel or further or advocate for Hinduism as a Hindu. I am a what they called a practicing public Hindu. I'll not shy away from wearing my sari and my bindi and my, you know, my doing my prayers and, pray, you know, waking up in the morning and touching my calendars of all the gods and saying, you know, my prayers. But for some reason, that is all a crime now. That is all a crime. And I never thought that this kind of hate would actually get me to relive for me and my family what had happened to us when I was 14 years old for us to have to get up and move our home, uproot us. And I still don't understand why it is the case. But I can tell you one thing that I have not changed anything about me except for coming out as an openly trans person, which I hid for many years. But I never hid that I was a Hindu, and that was never a problem before. So something changed along the way. I didn't. I'm still the same person trying to live my life. But the hate that has been coming to me has been paramount. And I really don't care about being killed. I really don't. I've died many times and come back alive. But I have my parents and my family and I have a responsibility towards them to keep them safe. So I'm having to really take that all in. And I think the LGBTQ movement is very easily influenced, in my opinion, as I'm learning. See, I'm, at a, I'm from a generation of transgender folks that, you know, defined being trans differently. It's beautiful that it's becoming a larger, expansive umbrella of trans, and I respect and welcome that. But unfortunately, we have not been liberated as trans LGB folks. And the idea that if we fight for somebody's social justice cause, we will get liberated is what's playing out, in my opinion today, where we are still not liberated I saw this firsthand during the pandemic. There were Kinder Hijra trans people in this country that went hungry, that went without a meal, without, a, without access to medication. And they were not necessarily cared for by the greater LGBT community. There are many, many Hijras and Kinders in America and Canada but you will never see them because they're scared. Because you see, when you take the sliver of the hijra kinder system, whether you look back in India or other places, 
religion is not really at play here. We all coexist and co-mingle, whether it's the Nikes or the Gurus, Christian, Muslim, everybody coexists. So this is a new phenomenon for us. And I'm from a time when that was what being trans was. I didn't belong to a Garana or a you know, Chadai, but I un- I kind of understood that as my existence. My primary existence was that of a transgender kidner person. But somehow that has been somersaulted and I am now sitting at a place where I have to watch my back. I have to watch my back every single time. But I refuse to also not live my life. I struggle so hard to be able to live my life and now I have to give up some part and identity of mine because I am being threat- threatened and told that they will find me and they will kill me. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give it up. But so you have been threatened by, uh, by, for being an openly Hindu transgendered activist. Yeah, I guess the combination is deadly and not accepted um, from doxing to threats to... So much has happened that I don't disclose because, you know, again, well, who do I talk to about it? The Hindus in great majority are living their selfish lives and there they care about a kinder transgender person. Somebody in their family is going to question them, right? Um, I feel very lonely. I feel very, very lonely and I didn't ask for this. I was going about doing my advocacy for transgender rights and doing work as DEI, um, you know, faculty. And this came out of the left field. And honestly, after existing for this many years on earth as this, how, how does this become a problem? And um, you know, I, you know, it's uh, this is something that uh, you know so many so many people experience, uh, but and but people don't talk about it, and they end up suffering in silence. Uh, and I'm so proud of you that you are actually ex- giving voice to so many people who don't have voice, and who you know because it's not easy to. Uh, you know, in a, in a in any society, to be uh, you know, to be different and yet be vocal and express what you're going through. Uh, so I I just wanted to say that you know, I'm I'm really glad that you are you know you're able to talk about this and you are giving voice to a lot of people. Um, I just do you, do you see. Uh, so I just uh, this one question. The, the, you know, do you see that uh, you are able to inspire more people uh, from the Hindu community to come out and to join you and really form community that you know uh, that that kind of. Supports uh, you know which find which find support from within and also advocate for you know for the cause among the greater larger Hindu community. Uh, so I, you know is that what you're seeing increasing or are you seeing that there is a change that is happening maybe slowly, uh, but is that coming and are you uh, you know because you are in many ways you're at the forefront. So you have better visibility into it and you have better insight into it. 
Yeah, as I said, JJ, I'm starting to see that. You know, we started, um, we started as in, you know, my existence, my family, my community has started to see that there's a lot more of Hijra Kinner folks in North America, and people are starting to see us. So there is probably more visibility. But I want to go back to something you said of me living on the forefront and being vocal. What other choice do I have? I fought my entire life to live my truth. And one thing I will tell you about transgender people is you push us and we will push harder. Because we have been oppressed for hundreds of years and any identity that is oppressed, we stand for them. So when it comes to my own individual identity, whether it's Hindu or being a woman or being a transgender woman or an immigrant or a Desi or an Indian, why am I going to be okay and be quiet? You know, like I, I really have never done anything to harm somebody to say I'm going to hide myself. I have nothing to be embarrassed about and be shameful for. I am who I am. And so it's not a matter of being vocal. It's a matter of living my truth. And I will say, you know, during the pandemic, the doors that opened after I raised my voice to have people come show up for the transgender, kinder, hijra communities, especially in India, were mostly from the Hindu communities. And, you know, last weekend, I was at somebody's home, an Indian gharana, an Indian household. And I had a, mo a surreal movement, a surreal moment where I felt so new that those folks knew that I was transgender, knew that I was a hijra kinder, and I didn't have to behave or try to hide or feel like I'm, you know, not telling them the truth. And I sat with them at their dining table and ate food. And it is these moments that make me realize that there is hope. The Hindus are unlearning and coming back to real recognizing and accepting the, the history and the legacy of the gender transgenderism in the Tritya Prakriti or whatever you may call it in the Hindu Dharma. But at the same time, it's a very, very critical mass, very few. Because I think we have conditioned, we as in our community also has conditioned out of our desperation to say, it's okay if you give me five rupees and you move on. I will still bless you outside the temple and you can move on and live your life, drive your Tesla and you leave. We need to see more and more people show up for our community. But I will gladly welcome the folks that have started to show up, the immense amount of work that they have started to do for communities like mine that are so marginalized. But the reality of the matter is we don't uh, do a good job of storytelling. We do not tell the work we have been doing for years and ages. We do not talk about our principles, our knowledge base, and allow other folks to hijack it 
and tell it as their own or let others kind of decimate it so there's nothing left for a story to be told there. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, Anjali, I had a question about your work during the pandemic. You, you, as you noted, you know, you did so much work and I believe Seva International was one of the organizations that came forward. Yeah. So tell us more about Seva International's work with you and, and what you all did and how more of such things can be done. Tell us about that also. See, Seva International is an organization that everybody knows um, has been doing work for a long time. Um, they ca- they serve folks across all countries, all religions. During the pandemic, I think they had a calling. I honestly believe that many organizations had a calling and one such organization that really scaled and was able to look out for communities that are very marginalized, whether it's the migrant workers or the transgender hetero communities. And we're able to actually mobilize and bring people, um, mostly 99% volunteers, and build a mechanism that allowed us to help our own communities in a big, big way. And I think what Seva International really is showcasing and showcased during the pandemic is that we we can come together and build a big, big system that can help save a lot of lives. Um, as most of you know that, um, you know, Seva International was in 19 countries during the pandemic and it started with medical kits food kits that you know in one instance they helped us get to one of our communities that would have taken months within india they helped deliver that food in 11 days their truck and that went 11 days over to that state and delivered that food when they had nothing there but they didn't stop there. They started with oxygen centers. They started with oxygen tanks. Sorry. Um, then they did vaccinations. And the work continues. And every time there's a disaster, they are at the forefront of it. And I think it's something to be really learned from by other organizations. Because it really showcases that one plus one can be two but one plus one can also be 11 and how it can be scaled and they you know that one piece that i will say about seva that they that can be you know looked at um is how they put the people from those communities on the forefront you know whether it was a rebuilding of houses in Houston, uh, ex- uh, um, in the urban areas, or you know it was for the transgender community. They put us on the forefront. They said, "You guide us. We will give you the resources." That's called servant leadership, and that's probably what Seva has really exemplified during this pandemic and continues to continues to do the work. That's fantastic. And, and and how do you think, tell us more about what the community can do. So, you know, Seva is just one example of, you know, helping out the need. But as Ajay Bhai was talking about, uh, you know, there is, there is a responsibility for the entire community. So is there a way the community can 
tell us, give us a give us a path out in front so that lay it as for us so that we our community gets to know about it. Everybody needs to think about it. So give it to us. You know, I will first and foremost call out to call in the Hindu community to really stop living selfish lives because there are many LGBT people right in your families that you might not know and you know and you ignore, you know and you disapprove and you got to really go back to our roots and realize that this body is just a vessel that's containing the Atma. And I don't mean to get theologically philosophical on you, but we have got to start unlearning. And it is so difficult to do when you are in this country, away from Bharat and, you know, Matribhumi. How are you going to even try to do that? Well, you try to do that by actually, well, reading is what I can tell you, but actually being in community. Don't be afraid, shy or embarrassed to wear your ethnic clothing or go to the temple or just try to build a community. Look for not just the Indian restaurant and the Indian store, but look for the Indian community. Build community. And back in the days, the temples were where the communities were built. The temples were where the medicine was given when somebody was sick or when there was a pandemic or an endemic happening in a different, in the part of the village or such. The path forward is really, really trying to be a Hindu. And I'm not saying go to the temple every day, become ultra-religious. I'm talking about employing the principles of what Hinduism teaches one. And that, by virtue, is going to allow you to embrace all LGBTQ folks. Most importantly, I must tell Hindus who are listening that being transgender, kinner, apsara, was once revered before the colonization of India um, and the South Asian lands as a whole. And we were treated as gods and goddesses. We were treat we were given equal opportunity, if not more, and we would bless everybody. From then to now, we are still blessing you. You know, when you give us, ask us to bless you, we take that coin, we rub it on our foot and we put it on, we place it on your head. We're still blessing you. But what's the term that we have to use so people understand? Oh, they're begging. Unlearn these facts. Unlearn this, the fallacies of how we exist. And putting transgender people on the forefront is actually going to allow everybody to be seen in the community. And the path forward, if you ask me, is to really understand and recognize and love and accept anybody who's different from this nomenclature of, um, you know, benchmarking that we've done primarily in the Hindu community, that you have to be a certain way, you got to look a certain way. And think of how you're really spending that money. You can obviously buy your homes, buy your cars, get your kids educated, not denying any of that. 
but really take that one dollar or two dollars you have and see how you can support organizations that can actually make a difference because you never know i'm telling you after what i have been going through you never know when that hate is going to come knocking on your door and you better be prepared for that Um, you know, we represent one of the oldest and arguably one of the largest uh, Hindu organizations in America, uh, World Hindu Council of America, or VHP America, uh, which is now over 50 years old. How does an organization like VHPA, and we have, we have, other, we have uh, several initiatives. You heard about Hindu Pact that we are talking about today, which is our advocacy initiative. But we also have another initiative called Hindu Mandir Executives Conference, where hundreds of mandirs and their executives kind of come together under a single umbrella to talk about issues that impact mandirs. How does World Hindu Council of America or VHP, Vishuddha Parishad of America, and Hindu Mandir Executives Conference, which are very grassroots community organizations, how can they um, help and serve uh, the uh, you know transgender and LGBTQ community overall, especially the Hindu transgender community uh, and Hindu Hindu LGBTQ community? Because we are we we think of ourselves as uh, community support organizations in some ways, and it is unfortunate in many ways um, that we have not done enough to serve the LGBTQ plus community. So what do we need to do as organizations and how do we do it? See, agnostic to what religious you know, premise um, your organizations have, I think you have a responsibility as an organization to get into the minds and hearts of families and homes within your communities to help them get awareness I'm speaking at another engagement on Friday where it is primarily folks who have never heard of LGBT, their Hindu communities, and it has nothing to do with the religion I'm talking about. I'm talking about how if somebody comes out in your family, how do you handle that? You've got to build that awareness. Awareness is so important. And there is already here's the thing right like when you are you know when you're trying to build a business case you got to have a usp that is actually going to sell the whole proposal to the venture capitalist in our instance being hindus we already have history that we can pull from and we can build that awareness it has got to begin there and your you, whatever organization you're part of it needs to start that way because you can start you can talk in big meetings we can have con- conventions and conferences we can have panels but unless we get into the homes and the hearts of the individual hindu family or a family for that matter we won't be able to protect the lgbtq folks who kind of put everything in one bucket and be like I was disowned by my Hindu parents for coming out as gay and everything about Hinduism is wrong and that is my second point um, where I'm going to is there is very endangering 
uh, dynamics of Hindu LGBT. And if I park that for a second, there's even more endangering of Hindu transgender, as I've shared my own instances. So I think it's important to uplift and protect leaders like Lakshminara and Tripathi, who started the Kinnarakhada, bringing her into these spaces so she can share her journey. And again, she's only dedicated for trans liberation, and that's all she's been doing. Her daughters, her, you know, people around her are all religions because that's how we play. Or bringing Mata Manjama, who is received the Padma Shri and has such a dearth of knowledge. And it took her 63 years to be recognized for her existence. She was homeless at the age of 13. And, you know, these folks are going to become very rare. And we have to uplift them. So, uh, because we, uh, you know, our you know, sphere of, you know, work is in North America. Um, one of the things that uh, you know, we would like to do is have awareness and educational kind of initiative around it. Like you just mentioned, it's need of the hour. We should be doing it. And, you know, we have not done enough of it. But one of the limitations that we have found is that we have not come across um, and again, it's lack of our looking and lack of our doing this, uh, articulate speakers like you who can come on various uh, forums and really increase the awareness. And I, it, it's almost, uh, you know, a, you know, a chicken and an egg kind of situation because we don't have enough, uh, you know, awareness we don't get enough leaders like you or you know, spokespeople like you who can articulate the issues and bring about the awareness. And because we don't have uh, people who are bringing about the awareness, there is no awareness in the community. And we need to find some way of breaking through this cycle. Ajayba, it has been, I will have to say it, it has been our problem, not the problem. Yes. On that. So exactly. I think the bigger problem is that we as Hindu leadership, uh, yeah have not spent the time and the resources needed to engage the community out there. For example, I've been, you know, the Hindu Pact is the first time that Anjali Ji has been engaging, engaged. And we have been in existence for more than a year. And uh, for 50 years, you know, when you said that, you know, World Hindu Council of America has been here for 50 years, it's actually uh, a telling, much more telling about our failure that we have been here for 50 years. Exactly. So what I was trying to say is that, uh, I mean, we would like to, as going forward, right, what we would like to do is, look, I mean, past is past, you know, but, but going forward, what I like to do is really, you know, come up with a structured way of bringing this awareness in Hindu community and Hindu mandirs and Hindu organizations and ashrams and other fora. How do we engage you and the and the LGBTQ plus community to bring that about? How do we, what are the things that we can do? Because you have said we need to do awareness and you have said we should talk about it. But really, I mean, um, you know, the credibility of what is being said is much higher if, it is, uh, if it comes from 
uh, a combination of both someone from the LGBT community, LGBTQ plus community and the uh, community leadership, whether it's mandir presidents or organization leaders and things like that, right? So how do we create this mechanism? Just like how everyone else has created it. Okay. It, it will take a lot of deliberations, which obviously I can't tell you on here, but here's what I'll tell you. You gotta create, start creating access. And at a time when we are, uh, in very much, um, I would say, in in tough situations, you have to act quickly. Um, I'm not criticizing and I'm not ridiculing, but I have been here for a long time and only now I'm seeing those doors open for me. I have been pushed out of temples. I've been told you're not welcome in a temple. And yet I'm here because I believe that this is the all of me. You have got to get folks to be able to feel and be able to get invested in them. And there's something that is not necessarily um, only to the LGBT community, but I'm sure you all know that there's a lot of public Hindus and there's a lot of closeted Hindus. And we have got to activate them to exist their truth. Do nothing else. Just exist their truth. If they put a post, they, sh they should not have to think twice. Should I leave out the word Hindu? Or should I not do a post about me having a Karvachaut or me having a holy festival? It's probably Hindu. Everything has become a problem statement with Hindu in it. So there is a lot of work to be done. And then you layer on the LGBT experience that is so not foreign, but it becomes foreign in every Hindu household that you automatically have double whammy there happening and you're going to push the younger generations because they are lost. And it's so easy to influence them. So the work is cut out. You know, I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've been told, can you speak here? Can you speak here? I said, I will. But will you commit to me that at least the people I'm speaking to, one person will turn around and do something. And I'm not talking about donations or all that. I'm talking about actually telling somebody else that, yeah, this is how it is. It's okay to be LGBTQ. It's okay to be transgender. This is what I heard. And carry that forward. I will come talk million times over. But that impact has to be there. And finally, I'll say this. People who are able to make a difference, people who are in decision-making positions, they have got to be deliberate in bringing in the LGBTQ conversation every single time, because everybody else does it except us. Well, you have our commitment uh, that you can, you know, uh, at least from our organizational perspective, I can tell you that you have our commitment and we will speak for you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So, there any final uh, questions, comments? I think uh, I just think that this is the beginning of this conversation, and I think uh, what we take from here is that 
we are here with Anjali and Anjali hopefully will be with us and we need to carry forward this engagement not just from behind the camera on a on a talk show but into as Anjali said into the families into the hearts of individuals and I think you know, as somebody who, who focuses on geostrategic issues and security issues, I think it is good for the entire community because if history teaches us anything, uh, if you do not learn from your past mistakes, you will be condemned to repeat them again and again. So I think I will leave it at that, Ajibai. If you have any further questions, Anjuji, uh, uh, any final thoughts, comments from you before we close this show and thank you for joining us? Any final words from you? I really want to commend you both and Bokhat both Danyavad to having the courage to actually having me um, on this program. Actually not being another Hindu person and be like, oh pride, that's a Western thing. LGBT, wo hamare parampara nahi hai. And oh, ye hijra kinnar kahan se aya. Instead of saying all those things, you have actually you have actually uplifted me and I feel so seen for once um, because I, I have felt very lonely especially in the last two years um, uh, out ostracized by you know many in the community in all fronts and I really really appreciate this time and this conversation and I tell anybody who's watching out there um, we are <laughs> we are your family if you have an LGBTQ person uh, that you know you're related to or you are that just know that you are family and you belong and just spread love that's what Hinduism teaches we are like one family and just accept for who we are this body this uh, you know once we leave the shari there's nothing left there just accept human beings for who they are and thank you again and Lizzy, we are always going to be here for you uh, you can count on us no, Thank we you. want her to be. We want her to be there for us, and us to be there for her. And no, this is our yes. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you very much. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you.